know, uh, one of the things that I love about the scriptures is they're not just timeless. You know, it's not just that this book speaks across cultures and context, which it does. It's so much more than just a timeless word. It's, it's actually a, a really timely word. I don't know if you, you've ever had one of these moments where uh, God, by the power of his spirit, when your heart is walking in humility, God will just take a passage of scripture and he'll kind of illuminate it for you. Have you ever had one of those moments where, where God just takes a, a passage and it just jumps off the page and it begins to get your attention? And Isaiah 43, uh, over the last several years, has been one of those passages of scripture for my family in particular. It was four years ago this week uh, where our family was getting ready to go to Kenya. Uh, there's a whole bunch of circumstances behind that, but we were getting ready to go to Kenya, we felt like God had called us to go there. And so we were, two days before we left, we were up at our church offices, we were surrounded by some of our friends and our staff and our family members, and we were just praying, okay, God, what do you wanna do in this season? Uh, how are you gonna speak, why are you sending us there? And so we're, we're in the middle, we just eating lunch, we're in the middle of this, this uh, moment of prayer, and Brandon, who's one of my good friends and one of the pastors here at Ethos, in the middle of that prayer time, he comes up and he said, Dave, as we were praying, I just felt like the Spirit of God wanted me to come and declare the words of Isaiah 43 over you. So he just starts reading Isaiah 43. I hadn't read it in a long time, and so he's reading it, and uh, there's some parts of that chapter that are like really exciting. There's some parts of that chapter that are not as exciting, and so I'm like, Lord, give me all the good stuff from that chapter, and I rebuke all the hard stuff, you know, and so he's, he's reading it, and he sits down, and we're praying and worshiping. Nobody else knew that that moment had gone on. A few minutes go by, and Jana, who uh, got up and welcomed you just a few moments ago at the beginning of this worship gathering, she stands up in the middle of the prayer time and she said, hey, as we were praying, I just felt like the Spirit of God wanted me to declare the words of Isaiah 43 over Dave and Sid. It was like the Holy Spirit got our attention. I was like, whoa. <laughs> and so she starts to declare it. So two days later, we get on the plane and we go to Kenya. And over the course of the next 30 days, 19 different people who we didn't know came up one after another. Hey, the Lord just put Isaiah 43 on our hearts for you. I'm not sure if you've ever had one of these moments before where the scriptures aren't just timeless, but you go, man, they're, they're timely. And as I was coming into this week and I was thinking about this season that we're getting ready to enter into, not just with the city, but with cities across the state and across the nation, I'm like, God, what is it that you're trying to say to us in this unique moment in time? And I think God has a word for us out of Isaiah 43. If you haven't read the chapter, uh, maybe ever, or maybe you haven't read it in a long time, I'll give you the summary of the chapter just in one sentence, just kind of give you the, the overview. If you wanna understand Isaiah 43, here's the context of it. Isaiah, this, this prophet of the Lord, this is what he says. He says, hey, you can expect God to do great things in your life and through your life if you will make God the most important thing in your life. This is Isaiah 43, just summed up. You can expect God to do great things in your life and through your life if you will make God the greatest priority of your life. And so he, he talks about these great expectations all throughout Isaiah chapter 43, and he's gonna say there's some reasons you can expect great things. You can expect great things because of who God is, like his character, that's what we talked about last week. You can expect great things because of what God has done, his track record. All throughout Isaiah 43, he talks about these amazing things that God has done. He says, you can expect great things of God because of what he said. In other words, God's not just a promise keeper, he's a, he's a promise maker. And last but not least in Isaiah 43, he says, you can expect great things from God because of who you are in the eyes of God. In other words, Isaiah says, you can expect great things from God in you and through you if he's the greatest priority of your life because of who he is, because of what he's done, because of what he has declared, and because of who you are in his sight. 
And it gets to this moment that we're gonna kind of hone in on together for the next few minutes, verses 15 to 21. And Isaiah's gonna say, you can expect great things, but I want you to understand what these great things actually look like and how they come to you. Open up your Bibles, Isaiah 43, verse 15 with me. I love this. He says, I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator and king. And so he starts by just reminding us of his character. It's what we talked about last week. And then he begins honing in on his history, his track record, what the Lord has done. He says, this is what the Lord says. It's he who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the armies and the reinforcements together. And they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. And so there's this moment where the Lord is reminding Isaiah, he says, you can expect great things from me and through you when you put me first because of who I am and what I've done. And he begins to remind them about this moment where their backs were up against the Red Sea quite literally and they needed a miracle from God. He begins to remind them of the history. Verse 18, he says, but forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past, which is such an interesting command, right after God reminds them of all that he had done. You know, I think sometimes in church, when we reflect back, we go, man, hey, forget the past, forget your areas of sin, forget your areas of brokenness. And it's good to let go of those things, but there's this moment where where the Lord is speaking to Isaiah and he says, hey, God wants to do something in your life and I want you to be reminded of what he's done, but if you get caught daydreaming about the past, you may miss what he's doing in the present. So he says, don't dwell on those things. Verse 19, he says, see. Or some of your Bibles say, behold. Or if you have like an old King James, it says, lo. And, and this is like one of those words where he's like, hey, 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 I want you to pay attention here. That's what the word means. It's like your friend that sends you a text in all caps with lots of exclamation points. Besides being annoying, it gets your attention, right? It's like, what are you saying? He says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give a drink to my people, my chosen, the people that I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Yet you have not called on me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourself for me, Israel. This is the word of the Lord out of Isaiah 43. All throughout the chapter, Isaiah is saying, hey, you can expect great things from God, both in you, for you, and through you when you make God the greatest priority of your life. But he hones in and he says, I know with your American ears, if you're not careful, we, we hear this idea of expect great things and we tend to think about that in a very particular way. And I love what the Lord begins to do through Isaiah. He says, let me frame up what these expectations should look like. And I don't know if you take notes, just a few things I want us to notice as we go into this season together. And the first thing is this, that you can expect great things, but these great things will so often come to you in new ways. You can expect great things from God when you put them first in your life. But these great things will often come to you in really new ways. Look back at verse 19. He says, see, I'm doing a new thing. He says, now it springs up. Don't you you perceive it? He says, in other words, he says, my faithfulness can be counted on, but the form of that faithfulness is gonna come to you in new ways. In other words, God is not like an aging rock star that wrote a hit song in his 20s and now in his 60s is playing cruises to his old fans, just playing that same song over and over and over. God is not a cover band of himself. He's not repeating yesterday's miracle. Why? Because he is the everlasting God. He's the almighty God. He is the creator God, and he loves to do old things in new ways to build his friendship with you. 
Isaiah says, you can expect great things from God. He says, but these, these, these great things are gonna come to you so often in really new ways. You lean on the faithfulness of yesterday, but you expect the form of his faithfulness to come in fresh ways as you keep walking with Jesus in this brand new adventure. You see this all throughout the scriptures, right? I love, I love that story where the Israelites are getting ready to go into the promised land. And if you've never read it or if you haven't read it, you need to go back and read. They come into the promised land and they come to the city of Jericho. Do you remember this story? Jericho is this just like intimidating city, this intimidating people. And the Lord has said, hey, I wanna give you the city of Jericho, but the Lord's, the Lord's strategy for bringing them the city of Jericho was not what you would expect. He doesn't send the army, he sends the marching band. You remember this? And I love this moment because, you know, no offense to any of you that were in band. I, love, I had a lot of friends that were in band in high school, but like if, if somebody's picking on you, you don't send someone from the band to stop the bully. Like stereotypically, like if, if there's a bully, you're not finding your friend that plays the French horn and saying, hey, we go deal with this. Like that's just not the reputation of the band, right? And I, I love this, this moment. They come into the promised land. They're up against this foe and God says, hey, I want you to send the marching band to bring down the city. But do you know what's so crazy to me is they kept moving through the promised land. Do you realize that God never used that strategy again? <laughs> they didn't take the faithfulness of God and turn it into a formula because they understood that the faithfulness of God would come in fresh new ways. Remember the story of David when he went against Goliath? Not a trick question. Is anybody, is anybody courageous enough to shout out what weapon David used to bring down Goliath? Somebody shout it out slingshot, and some of you are still scared. You're like, I think it may, may, he may trick me. Slingshot, like, but here, here's what's crazy. Did David ever use that strategy again to bring down the enemy? He didn't market the slingshot, put it on Amazon, and do a world speaking to her about bringing down the giants in your life. <laughs> he knew the Lord would be faithful, but he knew that faithfulness would come in fresh ways. I love Jesus all throughout the New Testament, he's healing the blind. Do you realize we have no recorded record of him healing a blind person the same way twice? Why? Because the Lord is faithful, but his faithfulness comes in new ways. And sometimes we're so fixed on what God did yesterday, we miss what God is trying to do right now. I love this. He says, hey, if you will make God the priority of your life, you can expect God to move in great ways, but these great things are gonna come in new ways. And I think about the way that we've seen this in our church, you know, back in the early days when we first got started, our church was so poor, we didn't have any money. And every week, it was like week to week, like, okay, Lord, that was awesome. Will you ever do it again? And I remember I would show up on Mondays here at the cannery and I'd pay the rent just like week by week. It was $500 a week, which just felt like a million dollars for our church at the time. And I remember one week, we didn't have enough money because our church was so stingy, nobody gave the day before. And so I'm like driving down and I'm like, okay, God, like I need you to do a miracle, you know, and maybe there'll be 500 bucks under my seat or something. There wasn't, you know, but um, I get to the office and I show up to the owners and I have this speech that I've prepared. Hey, if you just let us push off rent, you know, for two weeks and I'll pay. And I didn't know where it's gonna come from, you know. So I, I walk in and I begin to tell them, hey, we don't have the money to pay. And he said, hey, somebody just called a few minutes ago and paid the rent. I'm like, whoa, like who was it? He's like, they don't want you to know. I'm like, oh, that's awesome, that's great, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness, the way you provided. A few months later, same thing happened. Didn't have money to pay the rent, I'm driving down. I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe somebody's gonna call again. I show up, I'm like, hey, did anybody call and pay the rent? <laughs> He's like, no, and I'm like, oh my God, you know. And, and, uh, <laughs> Just, just scared and depressed, you know? And, and so I said, hey, can we wait to the end of the month and pay? And he's like, yeah. So I remember driving back to my office. I had another job at the time. And 
I get back to my office and the lady that was kind of the secretary of the office suite that we're in, she said, hey, somebody just called and they said they left an envelope for you and it seemed kind of ominous and I'm scared they're gonna try to hurt you. And I'm like, who do you think I am? Like, who's trying to kill me, you know? Like, but I go in and I find this envelope with my name on it, open it up and there's 28 $100 bills in there. And I'm like, whoa, a month of rent. <laughs> and I'm like, great is the faithfulness of the Lord. Sometimes it comes in phone calls. Sometimes it comes in envelopes. His faithfulness can be counted on. The form that it takes looks new every morning. Think about in those days, there were all these things that we needed as a church and Sydney and I had this envelope we'd put on uh, the, the door of our refrigerator and every time we needed something as a church, I'd write it down, I'd drop it in that envelope and we'd walk by, Lord, give us the envelope, you know, and just name it and claim it kind of stuff. We didn't have any other strategy, just Lord do it. And guys, the stuff that God would do is just amazing. I remember one time coming home and there was a brand new MacBook Pro in our garage. Somebody had left it there for us because we needed it. We've been praying for it. Nobody knew it and the Lord just provided. I think about one night showing up at church and this college student had recognized that we needed some stuff that we didn't have as a church. And he said, hey, he said, I found out that I, I qualified for a credit card and I just bought a ton of stuff for the church. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that may not be biblical, but we need it. So, <laughs> you know, just... Guys, his faithfulness can be counted on. The form will be new every morning. Isaiah says you can expect great things from the Lord. When he's the first priority of your life, in you and through you, but so often they're gonna come in really new and unexpected ways. We come into this season, guys, this season, we enter into the season of prayer and fasting every year, and we go, man, we don't know what God's gonna do, but we expect great things, and we expect that the great things will come in new packages. But it's not just great things in new ways. The second thing that I see unfolding in Isaiah 43 in these verses is it's great things in new ways, number two, in unexpected places. In unexpected places. Look back at verse nine, I love this. It says, see, I'm doing a new thing, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way, what's that word? In the, come on, help me out. In the, in the, in the wilderness. Streams in the wasteland. Now we read this like in church and you're drinking your $5 coffee and it's all comfortable and cozy and we're in here and it's like, oh, so poetic. God makes a way in the wilderness. I'm just telling you, when the Lord spoke this to Isaiah and when he speaks it to you, it never feels very poetic. It never feels super good when the Lord says, hey, I wanna do something great in your life. I'm gonna do something new in your life, but I'm gonna do it in the wilderness. You know, all throughout the scriptures, the wilderness, they carry this kind of special imagery for the people of God. The wilderness, it was, it was the place outside of their comfort zones. It was beyond the reach of their control. It was outside of those spaces of domesticated religion where they had everything figured out, God in a box or theology lined out. Like the wilderness was the place where no one went to vacation. It was not a place to thrive, but to survive. And God looks at him and he says, I'm gonna do something great in your life. It's gonna be new in your life. And it's gonna be in the places that you least expect the wilderness spaces. I love the story of God and the Israelites. Think about that moment where they're being oppressed in the city of Egypt, in the country of Egypt. And if we were writing the story, they would pray and then God would wipe out all the Egyptians with the plagues and then they'd move into their houses and eat their food and have their jobs and all be like happily ever after. But that's not the way the story goes. God raises them up and he calls them into the wilderness. And they didn't get there accidentally. It's not like God brought them out of Egypt and then like looked at the angels and went, oh man, I forgot we made a wilderness here. 
I forgot that that's where this led. Like, he wasn't surprised, wasn't shocked. He led them into the wilderness on purpose because he knew that there were things that they would discover in him that would only be found in the wild, untamed, undomesticated places of life with him. God got them out of Egypt and he brought them into the wilderness and it was in the wilderness that he got Egypt out of them. He began to move, he began to stir, he began to teach them what it looked like to depend on him in brand new, like fresh kinds of ways. And guys, this is so important for us. I'm not throwing rocks at our culture. This is just true for all of us. Guys, we live in a world where most of us worship at the altars of comfort, convenience, and control. Most of us are like, Lord, we will follow you anywhere as long as it's convenient, comfortable, and I get to be in control. You know what's interesting? Is God just has no desire to work there. (laughs) And so he says, come out into the wilderness. Come out into these spaces. I think about my own life, some of these wilderness seasons. The seasons that I never wanted to enter into. I think about when my mom was battling cancer. And we were outside of our comfort zone. We were outside of our control. We were outside of our ability to, to figure all these things out. And God shows up in that season. And although I would never wanna go through that again and never want any of you to go through it, going through that wilderness, we experienced a level of friendship with God that we could never get in our comfort zone in places where we thought we had it all figured out. Think about a few years ago, Sydney and I really going through a wilderness season. A lot of you were here and a part of this and maybe you remember it in some form, but I remember several years ago, the Lord inviting our family into some things that we didn't know what to do with. We, we just knew he was calling us to obey, you know. is that season where we sold our house and we were living kind of nomadically and we were traveling and everybody's like, what's going on? Are you having a breakdown? Like, are you burning out? And we're like, no, we're just trying to be obedient. It was in that season, man, we lost some dear friends, some key relationships, and we faced all kinds of uncertainty, and yet in the middle of it, we met God in ways that we couldn't meet him when we're bowing down at the altars of comfort and convenience, and control. I love what the Lord says here. He says, hey, he says, when you put me first, you can expect great things in your life. They're gonna come in new ways. They're gonna come in unexpected places. It's it's what's happening right now all, all over the world. I don't know if you know this or not, but the church is growing fastest in the places that none of us typically wanna be. That right now, the church is growing, one of the places it's growing the very fastest is in the country of Iran. I don't know if you know that or not. God's moving in incredible ways. And everybody goes, whoa, what's going on there? And I go, I go, it seems unexpected, but when you look at the scriptures, isn't this the way that God so often works? So I'm doing great things in new places, in new ways, in unexpected places. Third thing, he says, and I'm gonna do it in a way that will bless you and will bless others who find themselves in close proximity to you. In other words, I'm gonna do something for you and in you, but it's never just about you. You know that church, like when God moves in you, it's never just about you. And I love what he says here. Look at this in verse 20. He says, the wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people. Some of your Bibles say to refresh my people, my chosen ones, the people that I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. He says, listen, you can expect great things in new places, in new ways and unexpected places. And when they come to you, he says, it's gonna be a blessing both to you and the people that are around you. 
He says, I'm gonna give you water in the desert. I'm gonna sustain you. I'm gonna provide for you. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna care for you. And he says, but I'm gonna do that so that you may proclaim my praises to the nations. That this thing that God is doing in you is never just about you and it's gonna go beyond you for the sake of those that are around you. He says, I'm gonna move that way. I think about Monday of this, this last week. A friend of mine connected me with his friend, a musician from California, neither one of us knew each other, had never heard of each other, but we had this mutual friend, said, hey, let's connect. And so he and I got together, we had a cup of coffee, and he begins telling me his story. Uh, He and his wife, they're about our age, they have three kids, and six weeks ago, their youngest son, 18 months old, died unexpectedly. He just starts telling me this story of entering into the wilderness in ways that they never imagined. He talked about this moment where just the, the, the ache of his heart, he said, I never knew that that emotional grief could manifest in physical pain. He says, our bodies have been hurting in ways we don't know how to explain. He says, we've been in the wilderness. He said, yet in the middle of the wilderness, he said, we have experienced the refreshing of God in ways we never imagined. And he said, although I never wanted to take this road, he says, I am experiencing things in God that I don't ever wanna give back. He says, but it hasn't just been the refreshing for me. He says, he says it's been for the people around us. He and his wife both came to Jesus kind of later uh, in, in kind of their teen years, early adult years, and they came to the Lord. And none of his family, they were followers of Jesus uh, because they saw his life and how crazy he was. They thought, man, this is just a fad. He said, but when our son died, he said, in the midst of all this pain, as we were receiving this refreshing stream of God's kindness, he said, our parents began to see it. Our siblings began to see it. Our cousins and our nephews and our aunts and uncles and coworkers, he said, we're experiencing this revival right now. He said, my parents have come to Christ. My siblings have come to Christ. My neighbors are coming to Christ. And he said, I never wanted to walk the desert road. But in the unexpected places, God is doing new things and it is refreshing and strengthening us and it's spilling beyond us. See, Isaiah looks out and he says, if you'll make God the priority of your life, you can expect him to do great things in you. You can expect him to do great things for you. You can expect him to do great things through you. But the reality is those great things very rarely look like we expect them to look. They come in new packages We open them in unexpected places. And they become this twofold blessing, both for us and the people that God has already given us influence with. And I think about this this season that we're in, and I go, man, it's it's no doubt to me that God is gonna move. The question is, will, will we have the eyes to see it? You know, I love back at the beginning of verse nine, he says, I'm doing a new thing. He says, don't you perceive it? Because the Lord knew that it was possible to be close to a great move of God and miss it. Think about what happened with the Pharisees during the days of Jesus. Jesus was doing amazing things and they were so close, but they couldn't see it. Think about the rich young ruler that came up to Jesus. He was so close, but he couldn't see it. Think about that moment a few months ago that I've told you this story, you know, being in DC, working with some church leaders. And uh, one night on a Friday night after we had finished doing all that we needed to do, me and Dave Colbreth, who was up there with me, we were walking along the National Mall, that big kind of grassy area between the, uh, the Washington Monument and the Capitol. And we're walking along uh, the mall. There's this 24-7 prayer tent set up, there, set up there. You can go visit it anytime. 
And they had this preacher there from Georgia that was just preaching about the beauty of Jesus. And they had set up this swimming pool in case anybody wanted to get baptized spontaneously outdoors in Washington, D.C. on a Friday night. Now, I don't know if you're a person of faith. I don't know what you think when you hear that, but I'm looking going, I don't know how great the odds are here. Like, you know, I don't know if this is gonna work, but the guy stands up and he shares the gospel. And literally we watch... So over the next hour or so, 200 people spontaneously get baptized into the Lord. Things are happening that are hard to explain. I'll tell you the story another time. But one of the most, one of the most um, powerful moments from that night, I'm sitting there watching people get baptized, and there's this young guy in his 20s walking by on his phone, and he has a corn dog that he got from one of the, one of the, the food trucks not too far by, and he's walking by, and he walks within about five feet of the baptistry where all these people are coming to the Lord, and he stops for a second, stops eating the corn dog, stops scrolling. He looks at the baptistry, sits there, and then back to the corn dog, back to the phone, and walks on. And I thought, whoa, he's like so close. So close. Like heaven was touching down. So close they could have touched it, and he missed it. Can you see it, guys? Can you see what's happening all around you? We got a call from some folks that work in the prisons here in Nashville this week, and they said prisoners have literally taken these prayer packets and they're organizing together and they're praying for all of the prisoners in the prison system. I go, if you read that in a book, you'd go, I want to live there. Guys, you are living there. Can you see it? God wants to do great things when you put God first in your life, in you and through you and for you, but they're gonna come in new ways and unexpected places and they won't just bless you, but they'll bless the people around you. What might God be trying to do? Guys, as we come into this season, don't be a passive bystander to the glory of what God is trying to do. And I think about this moment last year from the fast. There was, there was a guy in our city who uh, he has been a successful leader, entrepreneur, CEO for most of his adult life. Everything he has tried to do has really worked except for his family. And last year, about the time that the fast was beginning, things with his kids had fallen apart, things with his wife had fallen apart. She had moved out of the house. She had filed divorce papers. And so he was kind of at the end of his rope. And one day he runs into a guy from his office who was honestly not even a, a really faith-filled follower of Jesus. He would just kind of casually attend church every now and then. Um, grew up in church, but wasn't really walking it out too much. And so he finds his friend and says, hey, can I go to church with you? And so he shows up at church. Second week of the fast, he comes in and he's sitting in a room like this hearing you know, about giving up food to connect with an invisible God. And he thought, whoa, this is worse than I thought. These people are crazy. This is a cult. Like what's happening? You know, but the spirit of God just started stirring something in his heart. And so as he was leaving church that day with his friend, who was kind of just a nominal churchgoer at the time, he, he looked at his friend and said, hey, how, how are you fasting? Like, what are you, what are you giving up this month? And his friend, who's kind of the nominal churchgoer, said, I'm going to give up porn for a month. That's what I'm going to do. And uh, the non-Christian guy said, he said, you know, he said, not to be judgmental. He said, I don't know much about this whole church thing. He said, I don't know much about fasting, but I'm pretty sure that's not what he was talking about. He said, I think that's probably just a bad habit. You need to just give up and you probably need to fast from something else. I'm like, wow, what an interesting response, you know, from the non-Christian guy. He said, I, he said I'm going to give up food, and I'm going to fast for my marriage. You want, you want to join me in that? And so he decides he's going to pray and fast. It's so cool kind of hearing his story. He came up with the most creative idea. Every night before he'd go to bed, he'd put his car keys in his shoes. He'd slide those shoes under his bed, 
And I thought, why in the world would you do that? He said, because every morning before I could leave the house, I would have to get on my face in humility. I would have to lay under my bed and I'd have to remember that my wife is no longer sleeping in the bed with me. He said, and in humility under my bed, I'd pray that God would bring her home. So three days into his fast, he gets a call from his wife and she said, hey, she said, why are we getting divorced? <laughs> he said, because I'm a jerk and uh, could you serve me papers? Mostly because I'm a jerk, <laughs> but could you serve me papers? And she said, she said, would you be interested in trying to figure this thing out? By the end of the fast, she moved back in. They got in counseling before 2019 came to a close. They came to the Lord. God's redeeming. He's doing all sorts of things. And guys, it didn't happen in that moment when he was in control. It didn't happen in that moment when things were comfortable and convenient. It did not happen in that moment where everything was up and to the right. It happened when he was willing to walk the wilderness journey and meet the God of great things in new ways in unexpected places. And I go, can you see it? It may not look that way for you. It may not go that way for you, but guys, we can expect great things from God when we put him first. And so I just wanna challenge you as you come into this season, whether you're a deeply devoted disciple of Jesus or not, what's the, what's the next step that he's calling you to take? Don't just assume that what you did last year is what he'd have you do this year. Who are the eight to 10 people that man, if you had your way, God would bring them into the kingdom of heaven. Who are you gonna pray for? What would it look like to, to, to set your desires aside to say, God, make me hungry for more of you? See, I believe because of who he is, because of what he's done, because of what he said, and because of who you are in his eyes by the power of Jesus Christ, that God wants to move in an amazing way across our city. Don't miss it. <laughs> See, I'm doing a new thing. You guys can stand up with me. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way for you in the wilderness. I'm making a way for you in the wasteland. Father, I love you and I just declare that you're a God of great things. You're a God that we can expect great things from. Lord, would you help us to put you first? Jesus, would you help us to put you first by the power of the Holy Spirit? Help us to love you more than we love anything or anyone. God, would you raise our expectations? Would you give us eyes to see where you're at work in new ways, in unexpected places? And God, would you refresh us in the desert so we could be a blessing to proclaim your name to the people around us? God, I pray that what happens in our church would not stay in our church. It would flow over into the city. What happens in the Ryman next week would not stay in the Ryman. It would flow over to the city, the city to the state, the state to the nation, and the nation to the nations. God, would you do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, but we want you to do it however you see fit. In the name of Jesus, we pray and give thanks. And together we say, amen.